Welcome to the Mary D Show. I'm your host, Mary D, here to be your guide as we extract wisdom and life lessons from top CEOs, thought leaders, artists, spiritual luminaries, and wellness experts. My intention is to bring you value in every show that sparks an idea, helps you break a limiting belief, or encourages you to create thoughts that uplevel your life so that you can know from the deepest parts of your soul that everything you want is available to you and that abundance is your birthright. In 2018, I healed from breast cancer holistically after surgery without the use of chemotherapy or pharmaceuticals. I love biohacking and plant medicine and exploring spirituality and what it means to be in relationship with spirit so that we can feel whole and complete no matter what life throws at us. My specialty in the business world is strategy and leadership, and my gift to each of you is my ability to listen so that I can help others see themselves. In each episode, I want to sprinkle you with some hope dust, tickle your funny bone, and inspire you to find your inner roar. Get ready to live your most aligned, purposeful, and joy-filled life now, and enjoy the show. Dr. K, thank you for joining us on today's show. For those of you that don't know, Dr. K is an actual psychologist. And Dr. K, on that note, can you tell us the difference, if there is one, between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Okay. And so I'm actually a psychotherapist, which adds another one to the mix. Psychiatrists, sometimes they're trained in therapy, often they're not. They're the medicators. There are a few states that psychologists can do therapy, but I'm a clinical psychotherapist, which means that I've done a lot, a lot of work with patients directly on problems that you'd find in that DSM, like generalized anxiety disorder, or it might be bipolar, it might be depression, it could be all kinds of things. But people who do psychotherapy generally are not medicators, unless they're a psychiatrist or in some states a psychologist, but they're really trained in the clinical work of handling mental health conditions. I love that. And I read on your website that you've done something north of like 100,000 hours of research. We talked about 10,000 hours being mastery. So 100,000 hours is, what do we call that? Like superhero strategy? I don't know. It's 100,000 hours of included research, therapy, consulting, mentoring, teaching, training, all kinds of stuff like that. So it's a lot, but I've got to say, I figured it out one day and it was kind of crazy. And it's north of that at this point, but I love it. It's never felt like, oh my God, you did 100,000 hours. Or someone pointed out early on, that's 10,000 hours times 10. But, you know, master times 10. I'm really blessed that I love what I do. Yeah, that's so important. What do you know now that you wish you had known before you got into this field? Okay. So I'm going to answer it by backtracking just a second because. Sure. I do psychotherapy, but I also do mentoring, okay? I do mentoring, and there's a difference. I used to think everybody needed psychotherapy, right? Because we could all use to grow and get healthier. I mean, none of us comes into this life without a lot of challenges. But what I know now, and that wasn't one of the answers to the question, but actually it's kind of a shift and it relates, is that not everybody needs therapy where you give them a diagnosis and you do treatment, but everybody needs to develop greater emotional, mental, energetic, spiritual capacity. And that's really the goal. So it's to be able to have all your thoughts, have all your feelings, 
really have a mastery, not of how much energy you have like this, but the energetic, your vibration, your frequency, your connection with the universe, however you hold that. Those are the things that we need to develop. And that's not about therapy, patient treatment. It's really about living life very, very fully and richly. Because to me, if you're not living and growing, you're stagnating and dying on the other side. You don't stay still and tread water for very long. Sometimes we feel like we're treading water, but we're not, right? So to answer the question that you asked specifically, what do I wish I knew? It's a question people ask, right? And I've thought about it a lot. Well, there's part of me that says, I wish I knew. There's another part of me that really knows that I couldn't know it then like I know it now. And if I did, it wouldn't have the depth or the richness that it has now. So even though I'm somebody that likes things to have happened yesterday, last week, 10 years ago, I do really get that the experiences have made it different. Now, that said, a couple of things that would have been cool to have known before I bring the lens of a psychotherapist to whatever I do, right? So I'm not treating, I'm not labeling people with a diagnostic category, but I use that lens of understanding emotions and mental functioning. And so what I wish was that I had a deeper understanding of transference and resistance. And I kind of joke, but it's not really a joke. And I say I'm the chief resistor, number one, you know, resistor in chief, because I really get it. And resistance is something that we're taught to push through, right? Push through, make it happen. And entrepreneurs do that. They do better than anybody, right? It's like we wear it as a badge of honor. And it took a while before I realized that I was wearing it as a badge of honor. Like I could compartmentalize. I could use stress as fuel. I could do all of these things. But I wasn't really working with resistance in a way that would get the gold out of it, use it as a gateway, and integrate the things that made you resist, because you usually resist out of trauma or something unpleasant that's happened. And it's a really positive response. We make it negative, like, oh, you're resistant. Yeah, you're resistant because you're trying to do something positive and you don't know another way. You're trying to survive. You're trying to be happy, healthy. It's the best way that you know how to do it. So you're holding on. So I say kiddingly and not that I'm that resistor in chief. So the more I understand that, the better I am at what I do. And so if I had understood that earlier, I would have been better, but I couldn't have understood it without lots of those hours that I put in because we get trained that resistance is something you want to get people through, but you're not really in our personal life or even professionally very much taught the ways to do it. And I was very blessed because one of my early trainings, it wasn't the earliest, but one of the really deep trainings that I did, you know, decades ago was, it's called modern psychoanalysis. And we dealt so much with resistance. And so whatever I did after that, it made me have a very different understanding about resistance and why we do what we do. Like when we seem to dig in our heels, right? Why we're doing that? Because it's not just that we want to be stubborn or difficult or pain in the butt. We're really trying to accomplish something in the best way we know how. So it would have been great to have an understanding of that earlier. And yet, it's really something that had to come from studying myself, right? And really working with a lot of people and seeing what worked and what was going to make the walls and the obstacles. My work is always about shattering limits, right? And if you push through, you actually get people to dig their heels in more. 
I mean, you probably know that for you. I know it for me. If somebody starts yeah. telling me, stop. Yeah. So many times I will watch people go through this process of talking themselves into something. They get there and then they meet a little resistance. And instead of pushing through, they stop. And when they stop, they are so close to gold. They're so close to being on the other side of the thing to realizing how great it is. But there's that resistance when it's a blocker for some people and it's real. Okay. And so the thing is that one of the things I'm really about is taking that and helping people to move through it. You know, there are some people that push through it like bulldozers and then we don't integrate it. We don't get the gold from it, right? And then other times you get stopped by it. The super successful in your personal life, your business, we're not just talking money, but really having a rich life is when you can navigate that, when you can see what it is and how to move through it, because it's trying to save our life. It's not this thing to bulldoze. And we don't get taught how to make friends with our resistance. We just don't. And that would be such a gift in school, when parents, et cetera, if we could just teach what to do when you feel like that's a really important message to ourselves. So to learn how to take the message and then move through it is huge. Would you say that the response that is helpful is to surrender or is it pushing through or is it just stopping and being able to say to yourself the self-realization of like, oh, I'm resisting this and why am I resisting it? You know, I think that answer is going to be, I'm going to kind of say this to a number of different things. It really depends. Mostly I would pick option number three to look at what's happening. But there are times that you're in a situation where you might have to, for that moment, do something and push through it. Generally, that's not a long-term solution because trauma tends to get locked in more. So the best thing really is to recognize what you're doing. If I can tell a fun story, although is isn't always so fun at the time, sometimes I'm resisting something. And sometimes it'll be something really crazy, like I'll be mad about something and I'll be digging my heels in. And I'm arguing with somebody from the phone company or the electric company. And my husband will come in and will give me this look like, what are you doing? And I'll say, yeah, I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm going to do it and he'll say how much longer. And I'm like, oh, I think a couple more minutes. And one of the things that's really interesting about it is I had an amazing experience once where we were in the middle of a storm and I have dogs and I have birds and a fish. The birds have a really hard time if we lose heat. So I was in a position where we had a snowstorm. I live in a place that's built on rock, like Westchester County in New York, got a lot of rocks. So you lose power a lot. And when the electric company kept saying to me, like, a few more hours, two more hours, three more, I was like believing them, which was my bad because I should have known. They're just saying that, right? And so they kept saying it. And every time I called them and they'd say a few more hours, I would just be arguing with them. And finally, it just kind of hit me. It was like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, are you done yet? I'm saying to myself. Now, I did something a little different than what you said, but related to surrender. I really went to a different place and I said, okay, this is what it is. It's on me. You know, they do what they do, which they make up these times have nothing to do with reality. That's on them. But I believe them, and I should have known better. That's on me. And what am I going to get? Or is that person going to get? They can't help it. And I was just taking my frustration out when I know that's not who I want to be or how I want to live. And the moment that I said, you know this, are you ready now? Are you ready to stop? 
this was a long time ago. I do it much faster now because this lesson was amazing. The moment I stopped, and I didn't look at it as surrender, well, sometimes I have, but I made that shift. My daughter, who was very young at the time, I have two daughters, she calls down from the end of the room, Mommy, Mommy, I figured out what to do about the birds. She was fast asleep. She woke up. Well, I was in resistance and arguing for something that was not going to happen. Like, it's two o'clock in the morning. Well, I should have brought my animals to a friend's house like at seven o'clock at night. And she said, I figured it out. And she figured out how to save the birds. And I have learned that lesson. So I won't say I never do that, but I don't do it so long. I'll kind of say, give me a couple minutes. I'm going to be whatever. Or I don't. I'll say, no, I don't want to be like that. Usually the conversation isn't with my husband, it's with myself. It's like, do you want to be like this? And when I make the shift into who I want to be, then how miraculous that my daughter sleeping down the hall wakes up and she gets the answer. She couldn't get the answer before. And I got to tell you, we've shared it so many times and places, probably saved so many birds' lives. And yet I couldn't get it while I was in that resistant, angry, like just hitting the wall. So it wasn't a surrender. I don't love that word, although it works for some people, but I chose to really move into a space that was aligned with who I am, who I want to be. And truthfully, I want to leave people better when they get off the phone with me. I don't want somebody like cursing under their breath, like, what is up with that woman? You know, and the fact that I had been dealing with them since early the afternoon. So I really ask that. Is this making me the kind of person that I want to be? Is this touching people's lives? And when I made that shift to being aligned with what I'm about, then the universe just kicked right in. Oh, yeah. Alignment has so much to do with everything. What I hear you also saying is that you've got this internal dialogue happening. Talk to me about the difference between intuition and impulse. Oh, my God. Okay. That is such an important question. There's not an easy way that I know of yet. Maybe next year I can answer it easily. But it's a hugely important question because when we're not acting on intuition, like really healthy intuition, like wisdom, knowing, our knowingness, we can really get ourselves in heaps of trouble. Okay, I bet you've done that. I've done that. But it's easy to mix them up. And so I don't think it's about necessarily in that moment. Sometimes in that moment, it's hard to do. What I really think it's about is working on clearing your stuff so that you know, where do I tend to get stuck? Where are the things that come up? When do I tend to like act in a certain way and make the reason up later? The more you get to know it, but it's not something that I can say, okay, Mary, intuition feels like this, impulse feels like this. I know for me what it feels like, and there's still a range of what it feels like. The more connected I am, the more clear I am, the more in my body I am, the more I've done my work on myself, the better I know this is really my wisdom speaking. And I can kind of know it. You probably can kind of know it, right? You kind of get that little grin, right? Like, I kind of know, like, no, I'm just kind of wanting to do that. So the more we do know ourselves, we can pay attention. So it's not like a formula that I can tell anybody exactly, but I can tell you that when you start to pay attention, and clear your field and your transference and stay connected and know your resistance and all these kind of other really important things. Regulate your nervous system, which is another really important one. The more you do those things, the more you'll be able 
to know. And which is impulse. Yeah, that's so good. Dr. K, it's so interesting to hear you talk about it because I think there is this distinct line and it's different for every person. I study human design and for my design in particular, the suggestion is that I'm at my best when I can take a decision and have time to think about it. So I need time to turn it around. Otherwise, I can tend to be impulsive. And so that's usually the little stop sign for me on, do I need to make this particular maybe purchase on something right now? And I'll go, hmm, I'm going to actually think about it. I'm going to sleep on it. And I tell people that all the time. I'm going to sleep on it. Even through dating, when the guy's like, hey, are we going to go out again? I'll say, I'm going to sleep on it. In the world, in the marketing world, in the sales world, people do a lot of very manipulative things. Like if you don't sign up fast, you don't really want to do this. It's a resistance made like a bad thing. When it really is that it may be that your process is, I want to really think about it. I want to really know inside. I really want to sleep on it. Or somebody else might know in the moment, but they try and make it often. It's very manipulative. Like, you know, if you don't know it now, well, then I guess you don't really want to grow or you don't really right. But no. So that's the point. The more you know yourself, the more you can know. Like sometimes when I say I want to think about it, I already know that I really have hesitance and I want to mm. dig about what that hesitance is. Is that something I should work through or is that something I should respect, right? Yes. But other times I hear something and I'm like, I am all in. But it's not either time because I want to succeed more than another time. It's because I've got to pay attention. And it's not to say sometimes we're not more about our success. And sometimes there's, we've got things emotionally, mentally, and all like that are kind of saying, maybe I don't want that. I love to look at something through the lens of if it's not a complete body yes or a hell yes, mm -hmm. then it's probably a no right now. And it gives me time to also step back and say, why is that? Why does it not feel like a full body yes? Why is there a no that's lingering or at least not an absolute yes? Not an absolute yes is still a no. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of like manipulation to not go there. But you can even ask the question from that, what would make it a yes? And it may be like nothing. It may be if I had more money in my pocket. It may be if my father or mother were in a different space or if my kids were a different age or it could be some little thing. Like if I could clear up another hour and get a babysitter, it would be a yes. So when I get that, I listen to my body. They say the body doesn't lie to us if we listen to it. But sometimes it can be, what would it take, if anything, for it to be a hell yes? I mean, it might be something really cool. Like I might need to open my heart more. It might be that I need to forgive it might be something really interesting. So if my body says no, I respect that, but I also look at it. Right. So good. We often throw around the term, at least in the, the coaching space, doing the work. When you meet someone, what is your definition of doing the work? Okay. What's my definition? I'm going to say the same thing I always say. It depends on the person. We look at the mental, the emotional, the somatic or physical the energetic, and spiritual. So it's really having willingness, not about willpower, but willingness to start to move those. And it means starting where you are, having willingness to shift. You know, it's interesting because, again, people like, oh, you're not doing the work. Well, healing, change, transformation happens in relationship. Relationship with ourself, absolutely. But more often than not, we also need to be with somebody who 
who's got some perspective. So being the work is really that open-mindedness as much as you can be. And it may be that you can only be open-minded like that right now, but it's that willingness to be where you are and entertain a little bit more movement. So it's not that doing the work, pushing up your sleeves. It's doing the work in a way that will move you. I have worked with something that I call the hidden power drivers, that those are the things that affect how we master our state, right? And you've heard me mention them a little bit now, and it has to do with our transference because we get triggered by things that we're not even aware, our nervous system, how we deal with trauma. And that could be trauma with a big T or trauma with a little t. You know, trauma with a little t are the ones that somebody would think, that really had that effect? Yeah, because of who you are and your nervous system, your experiences, that little thing has had a big impact. Basically, it means that you couldn't follow through and complete a process of getting regulated or that something really gets stuck. So doing the work can look different for different people. It can look different for us at different points in our process. But it's not that idea of like push through. For me, it's really clear when I work with people, and it's hard because I work with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and we are all about willpower. I had a big accident a number of years ago. And at first, I really thought this was great. Now I think it's great. And so I was lying in the gurney, and I was really physically in very, very bad shape. I was drugged out of my mind. And it was so ingrained in me that I was sitting there talking to the doctors, the nurses, anybody who would kind of have this conversation about how I was going to use this experience to grow me and my patients and clients. And for years, I was like thinking that this story was really pretty remarkable because it was so ingrained in me. And I came to understand later that it was remarkable, but also that I wasn't letting in the grieving. Now, maybe not in that moment, but down the road, I spent a couple of years where I could barely walk. I had many, many surgeries. I've been through a lot from that. And other life death things come up, you know, as part of my journey to be who I am and do what I do. But I realized that integration was really important. And when people came to visit me after I got hurt, everybody wanted to have a nice little package. So they said, I fell on an icy speed bump. And they said, God must have been telling you to slow up. And I said, God didn't call it a slow up bump. God called it a speed up bump. But every year or two, I would notice that I learned something new about what happened. And one of the biggest things I learned was that entrepreneurs like me, we wear that push through. Right away, I went to, how am I going to use this to help people? And I needed to have the space also to grieve that my life was not going to be the same in some very important ways ever again. And I didn't have to get stuck there, but I did have to process the right. grief about that. Right. And I wasn't doing that. Even mindset. People talk about mindset, and mindset is really an outcome. So when they say change your mindset, it's like, wait a second, let's do some other things. Your mindset's going to shift. But when you just try and change your mind, you actually often get your resistance stronger and you can lock in trauma. So it's like, okay, it's different. Let's see where you go, but we've got to release it. We are mind-body beings. It's one of those things that reminds me of the fact that healing is not like going to a drive through where you order a thing off the menu, you get the thing, you eat it, and it's done. You're constantly going through the drive through 
And sometimes you pull up to the window and you're like, oh, I got what I didn't order. I didn't order that, but it showed up anyway in my bag. And so now I have to make some adjustments. I had breast cancer over five years ago. And I remember at the time I was going through a really big lawsuit and the lawsuit was so consuming that it actually sort of minimized the breast cancer because I had a solution, right? I had uh, doctor's appointments. I knew I was going to have surgery. So I had a plan. Whereas with the lawsuit, I was in the thick of it and I didn't know what the next thing was going to be. And I remember it was about two years later and it literally hit me like a ton of bricks of just the fact that I didn't get an opportunity to like grieve the fact that my breast that I've had my whole life or just amputated. Mm -hmm. And so that was such an interesting moment to sit with the grief and remind myself and say, wow, I never actually sat with this. I never was able to grieve this trauma, this pain, this situation that I went through. And such a good reminder that it can still show up, right? And then what are we going to do when it shows up? And it was such a beautiful thing to be able to process it and think about it and just love on myself and have compassion for looking back, you know, and saying, oh, I was in the thick of so many things then. And I'm so sorry, body. I'm sorry that I overlooked this at that time, but I'm here for it. And now I'm going to mourn this loss and process through. You know, that idea that people talk about, and I've talked about it for a long time, about whether you look at life as happening to you or for you. And not in a Pollyanna way. Like I always said to people, I'm not going to say I'm really, you know, happy I had that accident, but I can really understand it as a huge piece that helped me to be better personally and at what I do. I mean, I've had a lot of stuff. You don't have the amount of stuff I had by accident. You just don't, even though I had an accident, but it's not by accident. And so a lot of times you look at like something will come up again and there's another layer. And what you said about, you know, the way we are with ourselves, it's so important. And there are those people that get stuck in the grief. And then there are people like probably a lot of our listeners that are listening to you. We get in that push through and we don't realize that we're stuck. We don't realize that there's something that really is affecting how happy or how fully we're living or whatever, you know, aspect our relationships or our business, because we're so excellent at compartmentalizing it, pushing down. And one of the things in those hidden power drivers that's huge is disconnection. Anytime there's an issue, I always look. It's like somebody bring in a problem and I'll say, okay, and I'll go deeper. So that problem is real. It's real. It's not that it's fake, but it's not the one that's going to change things. You have to find the disconnection. And when you find the disconnection and work with that, because that's what trauma does to us. When it overwhelms our system, what do we do? We're like, you know, we find a way to disconnect and survive. So being able to do something different is pretty amazing. So listening to you talk about that really touches me. Thank you. It does. I think sometimes when we're in the thick of whatever it is, right, whether it's being triggered by the person on the phone who's setting an unrealistic expectation for us over and over again, and we're believing them over and over again, or actual physical pain or emotional pain. I think the norm is to go to a story, right? It was to tell ourselves a story very quickly instead of taking the pause to create some perspective. (laughs) And it's so interesting because I feel like we all kind of live by our stories. 
right? It's how we're framing our life and how we frame it to other people who haven't had the previous experience with us or haven't been with us. So when you are working with entrepreneurs, these high performers, how do you help them peek around the corner at themselves? Well, one thing is like, I was doing a session with somebody one day and they said, you really like working with resistance, don't you? I just kind of laughed. So, you know, the answer to that comes from deeply connecting. So people know I'm not pushing them where they don't want to go. I'm not judging them. I'm really opening the space for them to not judge themselves as well. So it really is about pointing them to their body, asking some questions, just a little bit, and then really listening and being there with them. Too many people have an agenda. They're a coach, they're a therapist, and they have an agenda. And when I go and I work with somebody, I do have my preferences because I'm human about what I'd like to have happen with them, right? Somebody's been abused or you know, could come through something horrific. I want them to heal. But I also have a lot of respect for their journey. Instead of trying to make their journey end the way I want to see it, then they have a lot of freedom. I can see around the corner, but I don't look to say, oh, like, I see that. You know, all that does is, oh, I could see it. So what? I really go at the pace that they need to so that they're in a position where they can go, oh, my God, look at that. You know, therapy has taken and personal development many turns, and it used to be a lot of push, and there still are people that do that. Peter Levine, who founded the Somatic Experiencing School, which does a lot of really great work with the body and somatic experiences, he calls it, he's really been huge at helping people slow up. So to really back up, go back, be before it happened, you don't have to be in those super painful you know, that no pain, no gain thing has really led us astray because I had a patient many years ago. I was doing hypnosis, but not for things like smoking and stuff like that. And so she went off to somebody to help her stop smoking. She didn't tell me. She came in one day and she said, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay, what? And she said, well, I didn't tell you, but I went to see this person and something happened. And so what happened was that the person's agenda was to do their way of working, their way of doing hypnosis and getting her to stop. So he said, you know, I want you to think of a memory. And she said, I don't have any memory. And he said, of course you have memories. And he kept pushing, pushing. She came up with a memory. It was a memory of being sexually abused. And in her mid-30s, she became a bedwetter. And so I've got a lot of concern about people who aren't educated to understand defenses and resistance and being where somebody is. If somebody says, I have no memory. I don't go, of course you do. I go, oh, that's interesting. He didn't know enough to really pick up that that was a danger zone. And maybe he could have done it another way. Maybe he could have said no, because stopping smoking that day or that eight weeks or whatever it was, she never got to eight weeks with him, was way less important than that she didn't shatter her whole way of being and end up humiliating herself. I mean, she was just devastated that she couldn't control her bedwetting. She went back to where she was with the trauma. We dealt with it, but it was a process. The body remembers. You know, it's like what you said, the body, a hell yes, a hell no. Sometimes it's much more subtle. And so I really teach people to, one, pick up the more subtle signals and also to read their energy. 
because our energy is going to say, I'm strong for this, I'm weak for this. And we can often shift it. So I teach people how to read that right away. It's like, I always say we become like a little monitor all day long. Like, is my energy supporting this or is my energy weakened by it? Because we don't want to be weakened by things for more than a little bit and move through them. But what can I do to shift it? Or what's the information I'm getting? So again, it's like, what thoughts? Are those thoughts strengthening me or weakening me? What feelings, beliefs? Not that we say, oh, that's a bad belief. I'm not going to have it. But we look at nurturing the ones that move us. So doing the work can be as simple and as rich and complex as, is this belief that I hold, is that really make me who I want to be? Is it getting me where I want to be? And then you have the whole lot of choice to rewrite your story, but to rewrite it on the deepest of levels. I had a friend who, he passed many years ago, but his mother, Esther Esposito, she was an old Italian woman in her 90s, and she used to say, first we make it up, then we believe it. And I always add, and then we create our life to prove that it's true. Oh, wow. And so right now, most of that is unconscious. I want to help people in their own time and in their own way, not my way, to rewrite the story in such a way that they know their conscious becomes unconscious. They can create their life consciously. And it becomes the default. And if it doesn't, they feel it. Their body tells them, their energy tells them, stuff goes on. They just kind of know it in however they know. Okay, some people see, hear, feel, whatever it is for them, or whatever combination. To me, rewriting story is not just about, I'm going to sit down and write my story, but it's about what happens in my body when I feel that. How can I shift my body? Like one of the things I do, I teach people how to shift their body which changes the story automatically. There's certain things you can do that if you do that, you cannot hold the same story of grief or sadness or stuckness. You just can't. So we get to choose. I love that. There's some people I really love in my life who have invested in somatic therapy and it's been life-changing for them. It's something that talk therapy could have never given them and something they were struggling with through talk therapy. And then when they switched gears, Boy, it really made all the difference in their life. Yeah, I love it. That work is very powerful. And I've got in 100,000 hours a lot of deep training and other things, but things that I wouldn't do psychoanalysis today. And yet, perspectives that I got that I bring to my own work, which brings in somatic and it brings in energetic work and all these other things, are so important because that richness of understanding with somatic work. Peter Levine is genius, and he's also a wonderful human being. He doesn't take patients anymore. He teaches teachers, but you can watch him. I mean, you can get to see him, but I bring that work in, and it changes everything. There's no wonder, Dr. K, that you are the number one authority in peak performance <laughs> resistance. You've done the work. And for those of you listening today, you can hear and see more about Dr. K by going to drkazlow.com. That's K-A-Z-L-O-W. I've also got some more links for you in the show notes. Dr. K, thank you for being such a fantastic guest today. You are so full of knowledge and wisdom, and I appreciate you coming on here and sharing it. Is there any last little nugget that you want to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, there is actually. And I want to thank you for having me because you ask great questions. 
And I know you ask different questions to different people. You're really present in the moment, and I appreciate that. What I do want to leave people with is that this is a really important time. We're at a time that we're on this precipice, and we are in a time of transformation. And all of us can take part in what that transformation looks like. I founded something I call the Power Collaborative because there's something that Greg Breeden, I don't know if you know who he is, but he actually did some research and found that the square root of 1% of a population could change literally the events in history, climactic wars, rapes in a community, and the rise in consciousness. So for me, this power collaborative is a way to bring high-achieving entrepreneurs, CEOs, professionals together who want to grow themselves, their impact, and make the world a place we want to live in. And created a program. One of the things I've seen, the entrepreneurs that I know, my friends, my colleagues, my clients, they're struggling in a different way than ever before. People say that we're big risk takers, but we take risks that we kind of, they're chosen risks. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of uncertainty and chaos, and sometimes I say downright crazy, that is not in that realm. So we don't feel that same level of control, sense of our power. So taking the work that I've done, but really speaking to what's happening right now, I've created a new program, a Power Matrix Accelerator, where we move not just into our business power, you know, everybody's saying survive and thrive. Well, to survive and thrive, there's inner work. You know, you asked about doing the work. Yeah. This is not a time that doing that is optional to thrive. If you don't, you don't have to do it. Nobody can make you do it. But if you want to take this, this is a program for people who want to take what's going on and use it to move their growth, both personally and in their business. And we'll create what I call like a true, extraordinary fortitude. Not the tough stuff, but the real fortitude and create real outcomes and work together and make the world a better place. You know, if your listeners are kind of struggling with what's happening in the world, or if they want to be part of a change and maximize their ability, and I still learn every day about how can I do that better, then they could give me a call. They could go to the contact form and just send me a message. I'll get back to them and we'll set up time to see if this is something that speaks to them. I love it. Dr. K, again, thank you for being our guest today. Appreciate your wisdom and for your time. Thank you so much. This has been great and I appreciate all you're doing. Thank you. All right, folks, we are wrapping up today's call. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us on today's show. I hope that today's session inspires you to live an aligned life where you get to take complete ownership of your feelings and decisions to live in your truth. You can connect with me more at www.maryd.com. You can also catch us on YouTube at The Mary D Show. Head on over to Instagram and Facebook and type in at The Mary D and just look for the little blue check to ensure you're on my official page. 